Hello and welcome to All Three Points, the podcast that looks at the World Cup 2022 from three points. Those are the player, the match official and the broadcaster. That's Stuart Lovell, James B and myself, Paul Mitchell. Gentlemen, we are recording this ahead of the double header worth of games, the final group games. And I think what I've found interesting, Stuart, is before the tournament, I actually thought some of these groups were a bit of a snooze fest and a bore and you could just pick out the two and move on. It's not turned out like that. I think we've got ourselves a bit of competition. Oh, we've got some great games um, in the final round of matches and and an awful lot to play for. Um, you know, you, you've obviously got um, some teams that, that have guaranteed their place in the knockout stages, but um, there's plenty of groups where there's, there's something up for grabs going into the final game. Um, and there have been a lot of surprise results. Um, that's that's the kind of, I would say that's the message that has come out of the World Cup so far that, that that's been to people who are, you know watching it avidly as as we are is that is that you know you wouldn't want to make too many predictions even for games that you think are nailed on, um, and so an awful lot to play for um, over the next few days to see who's going to make the last sixteen. I think it's been fascinating. I'm not going to name the commentator who said you shouldn't put your predictions wall chart in permanent marker well that that's the whole point of a predictions chart is you put it in permanent marker if you're marking up a wall chart with results you do that after the games you can put that in permanent marker but i'm not going to mention whom that was james let's start with a couple of shocks and, and i think there, there's a difference between what is a shock and what is a surprise i think we looked at obviously argentina being downed uh and germany being downed but neither saudi arabia nor japan could follow that up. Japan losing to Costa Rica. And I thought Saudi Arabia were really flat against Poland, losing by two goals to nil there. I thought both have wasted golden chances to be through to the, the round of 16 after just two games. They really have. And Japan, as you said, had a, had a fantastic opportunity, especially after beating Germany. They were up against a team, Costa Rica, who should have been down and out after that seven-goal drubbing from Spain. But in fact, uh, Costa Rica got the result and that group is now wide, wide open as a result. In fact, it did Germany a huge favour, that, that Japan result. And what what I've found interesting about just looking some of the, at some of the tables, you've got some group leaders who are already through, if you like, and that's confirmed in the case of France, Brazil, but you've got others who are a stick on to qualify, as you said, Holland, England, etc. But now in that group, you've also got teams who are in fourth place who could still qualify even, they've only, even though they've only got a point or so and you've got teams at the top of their groups who could still go out and Spain, Spain's an example of that four points, top of the group, unbeaten but if the results don't go their way they, they could be out Stuart, I think it's almost unthinkable that Spain are in trouble despite you know winning a game 7-0 and drawing with Germany. I'm interested in your thoughts on that Germany-Spain game. For me, it's been the best game of the tournament to watch as a football fan, as, as a lover of top-class football. Um, do you share that opinion or was there another game that caught your eye? Well, I think um, in terms of the balance of play, um, where it was, I wouldn't say it was like basketball in terms of attack and attack and attack and attack, but what it was was two um, nations with a lot of self-confidence um, uh, you know, very confident in possession. And I I must give the Germans a lot of credit because I thought they were toast when they went 1-0 down. I was kind of waiting for Spain to go for the jugular. They didn't. 
that's maybe going to come back and bite them in the later stages if this is how they play. You know, not dissimilar to what they did in the Euros where they were in positions where you thought they could put the game to bed and they didn't. And then they conceded quite late on. Um, but I thought Germany showed incredible patience and um, Hansi Flick made some um, really positive decisions. Kind of had to, you know, had to roll the dice because, you know, they were looking like they were down and out. But um you know, guys like Musiala and Sane, who we know from City, I thought was was really influential when he came on. And um, I thought there was easily the best post-match interview that I've seen from Ilkay Gundogan, who spoke brilliantly. And, I, you know, I don't know the guy from Adam, but I just thought, you know what? There's no uh, ego. Uh, he answered every question and he... he said, you know, we had a lot of good chances, but I think on the balance of play, a draw was a fair result. You don't get many players say that when they kind of feel like, you know, they've dominated the latter parts of the game. And most people say, we should have won the game. We're the only team trying to win it, et cetera, et cetera. He realised that, you know, Spain were a, well, are a force to be re reckoned with. And I, I share your view about the, I would say the standard of football from both teams was, was excellent. And um, James had mentioned it before that old cliche about never write the Germans off, and and um, rather frustratingly, he was absolutely right. You know, absolutely bang on the money. They are, you know, still in the tournament, and it's, it, you know, intriguingly, and I can't convince myself that Japan are going to beat Spain, but given the results we've had so far, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world. James, what what impressed me about Germany, and Stuart alluded to that, was the changes that they made. Nicholas Fulkrug came on. Not too many people will have heard of him. Mm. And I, I mean, he caused problems. He looked great immediately. His touch looked lovely. And he scored what I would call a striker's goal. There was that little sniff and bang, he took the chance. And Germany had lacked that the whole way through. It's it's not a case of a star is born because, you know, we all get these one-off things, but he could be a big player for Germany going forward. If I'm right, and I've never heard of him before either, but I think if I'm right, he'd made his debut for Germany just 11 days before that match or something and against a friendly and a man. I don't even know what club he plays for. You can tell me in a second, but they, it was interesting that Stuart described that match as a, it's almost like it wasn't the basketball game. To me, for the first hour, it was like watching a very interesting chess game between two two great players. And it was almost as if Spain felt they were 1-0 up before that match kicked off. They knew the Germans had to come out to get a result. So they kind of just sat back, did their passing game, drew, drew the Germans out, knew they would get their chances. It took, I think, about an hour for it to happen. A, a great goal, Morata again. And, I, and there's, I think it was both subs that came on and scored again in that match. Uh, but uh, your, Stuart was absolutely spot on. I think the Spanish let the Germans off the hook there. I think they thought the job was done at 1-0, but that, that German determination and grip came out again as usual, especially in that last 15 minutes. He almost felt the goal was coming in. And what a great what a great hit again from, uh, as you said, a, a proper centre-forwards goal that from Fulkrug near the end. I think if that game had lasted another five or ten minutes, it could have been a, a, a Germany winner, actually, the way it was going. Yeah, he's a Werder Bremen player, um, so it's not particularly fashionable, but uh, he's just one of these guys that you like to see that in a tournament, somebody coming and making an impact, and it'll be very interesting. Of course, in Germany's next game, it'll be obligatory. It'll be linked with Man City, Man United, Liverpool, because that's the way the competition works, and it seems to be that that's what commentators are told to do. I'll leave the sum of money up to them that they want to link them to. It just seems to be the way these things go. In, in terms of other games since, since we last got together, 
the Japan Costa Rica game, I, I think, was was a shock. As was Morocco beating Belgium. Mm. I'm just wondering if that was us not knowing enough about Morocco or have Belgium, you know, they've climbed the hill. It looks like they're skidding down it at the moment. Is that fair? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, we we spoke at the very start, you know, before the tournament um, even kicked off about um, the big, I think it was the big eight. There were eight nations who were considered to be contenders for the title and Belgium were uh, around the kind of similar odds to Portugal as being the, the last of the uh, on the list of the big eight. And, and I was very quick to rule them out because I said that they regressed significantly since um, the last World Cup and the Euros. And, um, and and we've seen it in front of our eyes. Um, you know, they they I, I didn't think they were fantastic in their first game. And De Bruyne, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, I would say the best, most consistent player we've seen in the Premier League over the last four or five years, al- along with Mo Salah, but, but in my view, probably Edges Salah. I think it's just phenomenal player, De Bruyne. And, and he definitely hasn't been at his influential best. And the rest of the players around him aren't good enough to, to actually affect the game like he can. So if De Bruyne is not on top of his game, then Belgium are in trouble. And um, I think this is, you know, this is where a lot of the um, football that we're seeing, you're waiting for the big players to step up and affect the game. And some are, and some aren't. Um, and I think it's interesting that, you know, Harry Kane was was borderline favourite. I'm sure, I think he, sure he was favourite for the, for the golden boot at the start of the tournament. And now people are saying it's time to rest him. You know, you can choke on the irony. Um, you know, these are the things that kind of come out of the tournament. But the German striker came on and affected the game last night. There's always someone that kind of comes out of the woodwork. You mentioned in one of the previous podcast boards, Toto Scalacci. There is a guy like that who presents himself to the world. And you're kind of like, wow. Where did this guy come from? And there'll be more between now and the end of the tournament. There will there will be guys who were virtual unknowns who will become a household name because of this tournament. Um, but it's fascinating because I was I was looking through. Obviously, you know, I I, I had a, a bit of a dabble in the in the you know name the finalists, uh, the outright market, the, the the golden boot. But I also had a little tickle on group winners, and I convinced myself before uh, the game started that Netherlands, Argentina, Spain, and Brazil would win their groups. So, um, you know, Netherlands are in pole position to do that. Brazil um, are, I think, pretty much home and hosed. Um, Spain obviously need to beat Japan in their last game. And Argentina are going to need to hope that everything goes their way. They could still win the group. So I might get a return from this. But my God, I'm going to have to swear. I thought it was... uh, I thought it was a foregone conclusion, but it kind of tells us exactly what to- sort of tournament we've been watching over the past uh, week or so. Yeah, it has been fascinating. I mean, the current World Cup odds to win the tournament, Brazil, England, France, Spain, Argentina are still 9-1, to one, Portugal 12-1, to one, Netherlands 14-1, to one, Belgium were 22-1, to one, but that was... That, to me, I think that's that, that's not worth it. Not even at not even at that. James, I'm interested of the teams of of, of the big boys. We talked about this in our podcast. Your Brazil's, France's, Spain's, etc. Who's showing up so far that that's impressed? For me personally, I think France have been as advertised. I think they've come, they've played, and they've looked comfortable. Brazil, I, I was actually very. I thought they were very dull against the Swiss genuinely dull um it was one of these games I actually dozed off I was so I didn't particularly enjoy it Spain yeah I think as advertised Portugal might be slipping a little bit as well but who's caught your eye well the funny thing is we we 
it's it's actually Brazil that's caught my eye, and I, and I only say that because I think in our first episode we did wonder what all the fuss was about in terms of their, them being favourites, and a lot of that is based on the history, of course, in the World Cup and the, the 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 glamour and the romance of Brazil and all that when it comes to World Cups. But I have to say, despite I know what you're saying about dull performances, they've still carved out two results. Um, they've beaten Serbia, I think, two 0 and Switzerland. 1-0 today. The the Brazil-Serbia game contained, if you like, for me, probably the best goal of the tournament as well. Richarlison with the, the bicycle kick after he had flicked up. I think it's the goal of the tournament. For me, it might even end up being the goal of the tournament at the end of the competition. Um, and what's impressed me about Brazil is it's starting to look like the Brazil of old for me. They're having shots from long range. There's a lot of fancy play. And there was a fantastic flick in the lead up to the goal today against Switzerland, but also significantly they've not lost a goal. And I think Brazil are still in a way hurting and I've learned a lot from that 7-1 defeat they received from Germany. In 2014, on their home turf, it's it's made them go back to basics, get defence, get the defence sorted out, and then do a bit of the dancing and the odd uh, fantastic goal up front as well. So, do you know what? I'm starting to take uh, something back. Uh, Brazil, if they keep just carving out results, one 0 two 0 and being dull, well, they're not going to they're not going to complain at the end. Just to touch on that seven one game, I was in a a restaurant bar in Florida. Uh, with my with my friends and and family and the girls were to go shopping and we were to go and watch the game. Uh, we were running slightly late. The food was served slightly late, so we could only see the TV in the distance. And we just kept seeing goals going in. You're thinking, is that really plays? Is that you know? It, it was mental. We eventually um, got to the bar, the five five blokes, and just sat glued. It never seen anything like it in my life. But we we shall see how how they go. Before we move on to talk about how we think the groups will finish, a couple of incidents I want to talk about. First of all, and they're, and they're both from, from the, the Portugal game, which is just not long finished. First of all, Cristiano Ronaldo, Stuart, claiming a goal that he never touched. Now, it's not a new thing for a striker. Um, I saw it once and th- thought he didn't touch it. It's a complete nightmare for a commentator because the player who hasn't got a touch runs away and celebrates and everybody thinks it's their goal. And it's so difficult to call. John Champion, I thought, handled it pretty well, as, as you would expect. It's a horrible feeling for a commentator. But unlike, say, 10, 12 years ago, I mean, we are looking at, you know, I mean, they can tell all these AI, you know, offside lines and things like that. You're going to be found out if you didn't get a touch. Stuart, what was your thoughts? My initial reaction when the game was being played, I actually turned around to my wife and said, I don't think he's touched that. And she said, oh, well, they've given him the goal. And I got a text from my mate about 30 seconds after with a big Ronaldo with lots of cash signs um, <laughs> telling me that he'd backed him first goal at six to one. And I said to him, I think you might have to give that back because FIFA are not just going to go for the flannel of Ronaldo pointing to himself saying I scored. Anyway, five minutes later, my mate texted me and said, they've paid me out. So I thought, OK, all right. Well, obviously, FIFA have, have, have fallen for it hook, line and sinker. And then next thing you know... FIFA have actually changed it. And it was funny. It made me laugh. It was Ali McCoist, of all people, you know, who, let's be honest, would be cut from the same cloth as Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of stealing a goal if he could. And he was like, you know, I think he's touched it, you know. And I remember thinking the revolutions on the slow-mo 
you know, clearly showed that the ball didn't even alter even slightly, not even slightly. Um, so my initial reaction was no goal. And I thought they'll stick to it. They'll absolutely stick to it, uh, which the, which they have done by all accounts. You know, uh, Fernandez has been granted two goals. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that um, it's just typical of greedy goal scorers who are going to claim it, even though they seem to, you know, forget. They have no clarity of thought to realise there's a million cameras on me at the moment and they're going to work it out whether I got a touch or not. But it turns out that wasn't even the most scandalous thing that happened in the game. <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to bring James on. Just one question for you. The, the bookies paid out on Ronaldo. Uh, is somebody who doesn't really get involved in that, do you have to pay that money back? Or is that already gone to the individual? I think that um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that every firm would have taken that view, um, and I'm not going to promote the particular bookmaker who did pay out, but I think they will probably have had to pay out. Well, not probably they will have had to pay out on both if they paid out on Ronaldo and they've jumped the gun. Anyone who turns around and says check FIFA's website, mate, they will be absolutely in in a you know perfect position to turn around and say if I back Bruno Fernandez, you're paying me out too, and they'll make a big song and dance about it the bookies who have paid out twice because it's a great pr exercise for them but there's maybe a little lesson for them to say just <laughs> wait five minutes before you decide to pay who you're going to pay out on the second goal was definitely fernandez from the penalty spot took the penalty very well but let's be honest james it was never a penalty i mean it just wasn't now for those who haven't seen it ball coming into the box defender sliding his arms behind him in a natural position, the ball strikes the hand and all of a sudden the referee wanders across because VAR, some VAR in a, in a polo shirt who thinks he's important, decides to flag this because he's bored. I mean, as a match official, James, talk me through the, the thinking behind this. Well, I, I certainly can't take you or talk you through the thinking of Ali Fagani from Iran, but um, what I can give you is my own view course and it's it's another penalty in this competition we talked about how many penalties there are in the competition it's Portugal's second of the competition and even the the, the first penalty they got in the Ghana match was was never a penalty I think um, if you remember it Ronaldo was going down before any contact if it was even made it was in, it happened so they've had two very uh, and I can't remember the name of the, the referee that the, the English commentators go to. Is it Peter Walton? Peter Walton, or, yeah. Yeah. He described it as unfortunate. It was <laughs> unfortunate for Uruguay. It's not unfortunate. It's wrong. It's very wrong. It's never a penalty. Everyone knows that. I mean, it's almost not worth discussing this penalty. But as you said, why, why are the VAR team even asking a referee to look at that, that decision? That's the first one. And yet, having seen it, and clearly seeing that a guy has fallen backwards, put his hands down because he knows he's going to hit the deck, and and has the, un, you know, the bad luck to touch the ball on the way down. How a referee can look at that two or three times and think, do you know what, a penalty is the right decision here, is beyond me. And I'm going to be slightly controversial and say, I don't think a European referee would have given that. It might be, and I might be being biased here and thinking... British, European, Western football is of a much higher standard than Iranian. This is an experienced referee, incidentally, from Iran. He's done the, I think, the Asian Champions League final. He's been in the 2016 Olympics. Yet yeah, this must be uh, just a normal penalty in that in that part of the world because nobody else would have given that. 
not James, let me let me throw one at you because I'm always fascinated to understand uh, the mindset of match officials because mm. people kind of feel like they're immune from pressure and all this type of stuff, which of course is is absolute nonsense. You know, everyone involved mm. in these games, size of the games, the atmosphere, they're going to sometimes lose their clarity of thought and their concentration. But what referees are trained to do, match officials, I should say, are trained to do, correct me if I'm wrong, is to apply criteria. And criteria for the handball, and this was the only thing that I was interested in hearing from Peter Walton, because he's not my company, mm. to tell you the truth. But I thought it was better tonight. And he said, it has to be deemed to be a deliberate act. Yeah. So effectively, what the referee had to think was, he put his arm out behind him to stop the ball. Yeah. Now, if you really, really think that's what happened, then it's time to stop refereeing forever. Because mm -hmm. that was, it really makes me angry. It just, it makes me so annoyed. And I don't want to go into kind of former player mode to say these guys don't understand the game and this, that, and the other. This guy doesn't understand physics. I mean, that's all it comes down to is, I mean, it's bad defending because he, he's jumped in two-footed on the edge of the box and, and created an opportunity for Fernandes to nutmeg him. And it was a brilliant piece of yeah, skill in fairness. It we was. should acknowledge that. Terrific piece of skill. There will be people turning around and saying, as one of my friends did, if he didn't handball it, Fernandes was in. But the point is this, you ignore that and where the ball's going to go and anything like that. And it's like, was it deliberate act, uh, the handball? Did he leave his arm behind him to stop the ball going through? And I would be amazed. I mean, you know, as again on the comms, Ali McCoy was saying, you know, well, it's clearly hit his hand. I was thinking, that's not the point. You know, mm. that is not, that's nothing to do with you applying the judgment and the criteria. And that was the thing that frustrated me. Where I thought, I don't even think that's a difficult decision. You and I have talked about handball, I don't know how many times. I know they've talked about it for the last over 100 years and they will for the next 100 years, but but the law was brought in about handball and giving the opposite team, giving the offended team a free kick or a penalty, depending on where it was. It was brought in because it was to stop someone, a player, sticking out his hand to stop a pass going to an opponent, or if the ball was going in the net, sticking out a hand to stop it going in. That's what the law was brought in for. Deliberate sticking out your hand, basically, and stopping a ball. This bouncing up and hitting your the back of your arm when you're looking in the opposite direction and, and, and balls hitting from close range at high speed, it, it's a nonsense, an absolute nonsense. Um, but, yeah, uh, my, my only hope is that this man, Ali Fagani, he's, I, I see he's 44, he's in the, obviously the twilight or the winter of his... Um, FIFA referee in Korea, I would hope that FIFA look at this and decide that that's definitely one of his last games, not a, a bit, and certainly not another match in the tournament for, for that. And hopefully then sends out a message to the to the rest of the referees as well. What an opportunity to, he had to look at that screen. And like you, I think you mentioned, I can't remember who the referee was in the Tunisia match. Actually, walk away from it and say no. I don't even uh, I don't even know why they've asked me to look at this. I'm over overturning it. I think it'd probably be fair to say that an elephant is a horse designed by FIFA. I think that is probably the, the, the easiest thing that we could say on this. Uh, let's move to have a look at these head-to-head -head games. We, we now, of course, go from these wonderful four games a day to just four games a day, but unfortunately two kicking off at the same time as each other. So the feast of football narrows down a little bit. Let's have a look at the groups. We'll rattle through them because some of these could be quite tasty. The Netherlands... Ecuador, Senegal and Qatar take up Group A. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Netherlands will beat Qatar. 
I'm just I'm like that. I'm just going to go out there. But I think Stuart, the, the interesting game here is Ecuador Senegal, and I love these winner take all scenarios. That that's really going to be fun. Yeah, that is a that is a difficult one to call. Um, I mean, this is probably the only group where I think we could have predicted the Netherlands would almost certainly win it, Qatar would almost certainly finish bottom, and the other two would fight it out for second place. And and that looks as if that's how things are going to pan out. I wouldn't want to um, second guess who's going to win out of Ecuador and Senegal. I think it's a really difficult match to call. For my roll-up uh, for Team um, Aka, I'm I'm obviously I've given the, the I've given the the top of the table position to Netherlands and I'll be quickly turning my attention to think right who else have I got again Argentina and Spain and Brazil so let's see how those ones pan out but um yeah I think um I think we would be very confident all of us that Netherlands will top the group and then of course what you start to look at is well that has an effect on England or Wales or USA or Iran who of course everyone's still in the shake up in group B and that's that's you know, that's more interesting, I would say, than Group A at this stage. Graeme Sooners, I, I thought earlier on today on television, pretty much eviscerated England as dull and lifeless. And I thought he was spot on. I mean, I, I like Graeme Sooners as a pundit. I don't think he holds back. He wasn't being nasty, but I think he was basically just saying that they're a dull football team and basically they should be an awful lot better given what's at their their disposal and no doubt and you know social media certainly didn't like some of the things they had to say but home truths are home truths your England have not I mean if, if you said look you've got to miss watching a game you could mention the word England and I wouldn't be unhappy at missing it they've just been terrible to watch well I spent the weekend um down south um and and part of our weekend uh jaunt was to go out and to a pub and watch England against USA and it's two and a half hours of my life with the build-up and all that stuff around me that I'll never get back. It was brutal, <laughs> absolutely brutal. And, of course, you get sucked into, you know, having hundreds of people around you singing It's Coming Home or Football's Coming Home Again or Who the is Alice, <laughs> whatever it is, all these songs. And it was it was like slow torture. And then the game started. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, it was really bad. It was It was a hard watch. Although I'm a great believer in balance and fairness, and and I don't think you can ignore how impressive England were in their first game. And of course, everyone was saying that's because Iran are rubbish. And then Iran took Wales to the cleaners. So as bad as, uh, or, or boring, dull, whatever you want to call them, um, pragmatic is the kindest word I can use because I think that's what England uh, are under Gareth Southgate. But do you know what's amazing? It's not amazing, actually, because we probably would predict this, but the amount of people in England who genuinely think they're contenders. I mean, I'm talking like they. I was sat at a table of eight people over the weekend and half the guys on my table, when I said who will win the World Cup, said England. And I couldn't help but I burst out laughing. And they were, what are you laughing at? They really think they're going to win the World Cup. Now, this was four people, and I can't tire everyone with the same brush, but where I went to watch the game, I'm pretty sure that was the general kind of consensus. I don't know whether there's this lack of self-awareness in other countries. Some people are just tunnel vision, and they think we're going to win it because we're going to win it. Um, it just confuses me because all the evidence would kind of say to you, you know, watch your team and say, are you in the best four nations in the world that have got a realistic chance of winning the World Cup. And, and I have to say, I think that England will be quarter-finalists, probably. 
And then I'd be surprised mm. if they go past that. Again, depending on the draw, you know, the, the, if if things drop right for them uh, at the end of the group stages, they're they're likely to play um, Ecuador or Senegal, which is quite a kind draw. And and you you could you could see them getting through that, and then they're going to meet a big gun, and and then it's trouble. That that would be my view, and and that's where I see them going out last eight. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was it was a great weekend, but not that bit where I had to watch <laughs> play against the USA. James, I mean, I felt that England. I mean, England. We heard about their golden generation. I generally thought they were a better side and better to watch. Wales, though, have disappointed. Goalkeeper sent off, lost two late goals, and Wales could be the Scotland of this tournament. They could put out the team top of the group, beat them, and still go out the competition. I mean, that, that, that's possibly how it's going to be written. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this earlier on. You're absolutely right. Before we get to that Wales-England game, which I will definitely be watching tomorrow night, that's unmissable. They, we, we talked about England after they beat Iran 6-2, and we were describing Iran as a, a pub team, I think, that night, and that, that we couldn't really take England's performance seriously. England got a lot of criticism from their own if you like, after the USA game. But I thought that was a bit disrespectful to, to USA, who, who were very well organised and turned up in, in the way that I would expect. In fact, they, could, they could sneaked it at times with the, the possession they had. But you're right, we could have this weird scenario, and I've been looking at the, the table. Um, Wales, after that, and that lost to Iran. At the bottom of the table, must be England. Um, and my heart says... It could happen. My heart says that Wales will beat England uh, tomorrow. My head says maybe not, but I've got a funny feeling Wales are going to win, beat England, and like you say, do the Scotland thing and and end up going out because that Iran-USA game, and we've got memories of 98 and Leon when those two played together, already the political stuff starting to crank up in the background there as well. That that's like that's going to be another crack. So two absolute cracking matches in, in Group B to look forward to tomorrow. Can I just go? You mentioned the the, the Hennessy being ordered off. I think he's only the third yep. goalkeeper in the World Cup ever to be sent off. Again, not worth discussing. I thought um, it was a correct decision in the end because I think the referee flashed a yellow initially, and it was VAR. Uh, it was only after VAR that he had a look at it again. He, any player. An outfield player, if they put in a challenge like that, it would have been a straight red. So I don't know why the, the referee was thinking because it's a goal. Isn't it? But they, I thought the, the referee in overall in that match, the referee was from Guatemala, was really poor. And Iran were allowed to kick Wales off the park at times, uh, which I think it resulted uh, in, in the defeat as well for Wales. Not interesting group tomorrow. It will be Iran against USA. Good news for the USA. Joe Biden thinks that the cornerbacks will be important and that the USA will win by three touchdowns. So thanks, Joe. Where would we be without you? Let's move on to Group C and Group D. Group C, Poland, Argentina, Saudi Arabia and Mexico. I was disappointed in Argentina against Mexico. I thought it was very, very tame. Uh, I think I tweeted out, I was looking for three red cards and ten yellows, you know, and a little bit of fight and a little bit of bite, and it just never came. I'm not really sure what to make of that group. Poland play Argentina, Mexico play Saudi Arabia. So, again, in terms of being able to watch the game, sure, I mean, they're both brilliant games to, to line up. Yeah, um, and again, uh, you know, at the start of the tournament, we would have been handing, um, you know, the... 
top position to Argentina and letting them um, fight out the scrap. In fact, let's be honest, we probably would have said Saudi will finish bottom and Poland and Mexico will, will scrap out second place. Um, and it's been anything but, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's it looks like Mexico are in the weakest position, um, but they're not out of it by any means. Um, and I guess that, um, you know, I think when we spoke in the lead up to the tournament, I, I was mentioning that Argentina were the best back nation bar none. You know, there was a flood of money for them. They were 11 to one back in the summer and all the money has been for them in recent recent weeks lead up to the tournament. And then suddenly, of course, the price just went out. Uh, after their opening defeat against Saudi Arabia. And I'm not particularly forgiving when I see a team put in a really dull performance like that. And I kind of look at it and think, I just don't see them as being contenders for the title because that type of result will leave a mark. That wasn't a defeat against a top tier nation. Respectfully, that was Saudi Arabia. And if you get turned over by teams like that, you ain't going to win the World Cup. That would be my view. So whatever happens in the group and if Argentina have managed to scrap their way out of it, I still think they're on borrowed time. Is there another reason, do you think, Stuart, that England fancy themselves when they see teams that like their old rivals, Argentina struggling, Germany struggling, Belgium starting to look like they're falling away? Does that give England kind of false hope, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think the thing is, James, that um, if, you know, again... Every England fan that I knew thinks it's a foregone conclusion to beat Wales. And don't get me wrong, I, I think that there's quite a large gap between them because I think Wales are a really poor side. They, they had an excellent um, 45 minutes against USA where, where they came back into the game and they showed a lot of fight and, and there were a lot of positive substitutions by Rob Page that day. But I thought they were really poor. Um, and and unfortunately for them, they're two big guns um, or you know, formerly the big guns in, in Bale and Ramsey are shadows of their former selves. I just don't think they're even close to what they used to be. And they don't have enough quality around them. Um, so, you know, well-coached teams will look at them and think, right, we can pick them off. Um, and I think that's why, you know, it, it, even though England are relatively pragmatic, if they've got anything about them, they'll look at Wales and think, well, they're there for the taking. Um, yeah. and, I, and I would expect England to beat Wales, um, you know, even in a tournament like this where there have been a lot of shocks. I think that's um, that's one where I was expecting to get through. And then, of course, what happens is people start to think, right, what's the what's the path to the final? Right, Ecuador, Senegal, gimme, right, right, we're in the quarters. And then they start to think about this. And, uh, you know, forgetting the fact that as soon as you get to the last eight, all you're going to have is a big gun. You know, it's unavoidable. You're going to play a really, really strong side who, you know, almost certainly are, are going to have... Um, I think, you know, too much in the locker. You know, that's the question. Yeah. For me, it's a question of not when, but if England get knocked out. I think what we're looking at as well, I, th I think a position that you're quite happy to be in is Australia going to the last group game with a chance. Tunisia played France. That should be a foregone conclusion. But the Aussies against Denmark, Australia must avoid defeat. Denmark simply have to win it. It's a position the squad must be delighted to be in, Stuart. I'm um, really taken aback. Um, you know, I was pretty <laughs> down on the chances of the Socceroos going into the tournament. Um, and uh, they showed a lot of fight against France as, as much as they got a bit of a walloping in the second half. But I think we would all agree that based on all the games we've seen so far, France have have, have been the most fluent. Um, they, they look to have a serious attacking threat. Uh, probably were a little bit sloppy at the back against uh, Australia, but um, but they looked really good um, against Denmark, who I, who I, I think are still a, a strong side. 
And I have to kind of be realistic and think at the start of the tournament, if you said to me that Australia would need to get a result against Denmark in the final group game, I'd say, well, you can forget it. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that I'm prepared to kind of do a U-turn <laughs> having seen them get, you know, uh, a, a great 45 minutes against France and then and then a fantastic win against Tunisia. But I still feel that the, the, the group is there for the two big guns. France, you would expect to beat Tunisia, three out of three, nine points onto the next round. And then that could be more interesting is that, you know, you could potentially see France playing Argentina in the last 16. I mean, that would be that would be a scary thought. I'd, I'd sign up for that immediately. There's no doubt about that. Group F, James, Croatia, Morocco, Belgium. Canada have to be, I think, their luckiest team in the tournament to be on zero points. I think Canada played really well. Canada will try and go out swinging in their one against Morocco. But if Morocco beat them, Croatia, Belgium, well, one of them's going to go out. I mean, yeah. And I think we strongly fancy Croatia and Belgium to, to walk that group. But Morocco have done a heck of a job. They've done well, and I think you mentioned earlier on that was a, a shock result that they had against Belgium, and you're absolutely right. But, I mean, Morocco is such a, a passionate country about their football. We all remember them playing against Scotland in the 98 World Cup, and they, they drew with Norway. They beat Scotland, hammered Scotland 3-0, and, and I think just lost out to Brazil in the last game, although they got through that group as well. The, the Croatia-Belgium game, is again another one to watch because as you said I think one of them is, is going out uh, Morocco will probably be oh, it's um, Canada, Canada yeah. Morocco yeah I, I think Morocco will beat Canada which will put them on seven points so it's really Croatia Belgium as you said one of them is going out Croatia played really well in their matches I thought Belgium have been a real disappointment and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Croatia that uh, uh, um, victors in, in that one. So the other two groups are looking at Group G and Group H. Portugal and Brazil both two out of two, but it's set up quite nicely for the other matches. Serbia against Switzerland. Again, you suspect the winner will go through because Cameroon will mm -hmm. take uh, a beating from Brazil. And uh, we've seen a couple of good games. I mean, to be fair, the Cameroon-Serbia game at three apiece uh, was only a good game because I decided not to watch it earlier. <laughs> and then we will have South Korea, you will not fancy necessarily against Portugal. So, again, you're looking at potentially another winner-take-all in Ghana against Uruguay. And Uruguay, I thought, tonight were, were a little bit disappointing for me, Stuart. They're, I was expecting just a little bit more from them against Portugal. Yeah, I know what you mean, but um, I always, you know, look at games, you know, you can talk about possession and the balance of play and things like that, but Uruguay had some seriously good chances. Ben Tancur, where it, when he showed terrific feet on the edge of the box, there was everyone thinking he was a holding midfielder. And then suddenly he did what real midfielders used to do, which is kind of burst through a la Patrick Vieira, brilliant feet on the edge of the box. And that was the frustrating thing when he got into the position. And Joe Cole, I think Joe Cole was, was in the studio and he, he summed it up perfectly. It's like he's almost got too many choices. And, and he made a really good technical point about... Um, very few players consider when they go 1v1, they don't realise that the nutmeg sometimes is the best option because goalies, you know, kind of follow through on, you know, like I call it the Peter Schmeichel move, where they come flying out and they make them arms go out, legs go out, everything goes out. And the legs are, you know, crazy wide apart. And if you can just actually keep the ball hugging the grass, the nutmeg is on. 
which which it was. You know, it's easy for us to kind of talk about this in the slow-mo. But I remember as he went through, I was just actually said out loud, nutmeg. I was just thinking, roll it through his legs. He could have taken it round him because he was past the last defender. He could have lifted it, he could have slipped it. It was, it was a it was a really poor miss. Um and and Suarez came on and had a you know a stab from about four yards out where he just snatched it where you know five years ago that was that was a goal. Um, they had another one v one. Can't remember whether it was Cavani or another player breaking from midfield, but three clear cut chances that could have changed the shape of that game. Um, and um, you know it, it, that is your World Cup can be decided on those moments where the good teams will be ruthless and tuck it away. You know that if Mbappe is going through in those positions, you know what's going to happen. The net's going to ripple, and and, yeah. and these these countries, these nations don't have um, players of that level to make the difference. And 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 that's you know that's going to be the difference between your 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 country progressing to the knockout stages or getting stuck. Um, I mean, really, you know, some brilliant games today. You know, um, the the the. The game earlier on uh, between South Korea and Ghana was fantastic. It was just end to end. It was honestly, it was, it was. If you watched it purely as a neutral um, and 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 just enjoyed the the football and the attacking intent, both teams, it was not far off the best game of the tournament. It was yeah. crazy, absolutely crazy the amount of efforts on goal, shots on goal, entertainment value was fantastic. It's just that we probably not that probably didn't have that many viewers because no one thinks that either of these countries are are gonna trouble the judge later on in the tournament. Two great games today with um, South Korea and Ghana, but also Cameroon and Serbia, which ended up 3-3. I'll, I'll mention one of the goals in that in a minute. But talking about Uruguay, and you said they have been a disappointment so far. I think Because they, they haven't scored, been... James. I mean, that, that's probably exactly. they haven't scored. Exactly. And they're, they're going to be playing a team, Ghana, who have scored five goals in this tournament already. They were really unfortunate to lose 3-2 to Portugal. They had that cracking match that Stuart was just talking about there with South Korea. But OK, they've conceded five, they've scored five, but uh, there's going to be goals in this match, I think, definitely. But I actually think Ghana uh, are going to be the team that qualifies through. But the Cameroon-Serbia uh, game, which was also a cracker, I think Serbia were 3-1 up at one point. And, and Cameroon came back. If you've not seen it, you've got to see the goal that uh, Cameroon scored to bring themselves back into the game at 3-2. I think the, the player's name was Abubakar. Yeah. And uh, he, he was clean through. He looked for all the world like he was offside. He was allowed to carry on. But I think he even thought as he approached the goalkeeper, do you know what? I'm probably offside. So I'll just do this audacious chip that must have gone about 25 feet up into there and then bounced and the goal it was a great finish but he kind of walked away thinking well it's chopped off he had a quick look at VAR and he had actually been on side as he made his run through a great great goal great moment and that got them right back in it and within I think three or four minutes he then laid on the, the equaliser for his teammate another great game well, I was, I've was i got to jump in and tell you, you'll laugh at this. I mean, I, I can laugh at myself because it's only a quid. I had a quid on Vincent Abubakar for the golden boot at 750 to one. <laughs> Purely on the basis, listen, it's like, you know, a pound in the street. Why not? Purely, I just looked at it because I think, if I remember correctly, he was the top goal scorer in the African Cup of Nations. And I remember kind of thinking... There's always a random guy that gets tons of goals. Now, the chance of him winning Golden Boot was slim to none, but I thought, a quid? A quid at 750 to one. So I put a pound on him, and at least I'm that not that embarrassed that he got no goals. I can at least say, well, he was a contender. Um, not, you know, not a brilliant one, but... Uh, he, he deserves he, the Golden Boot just for that goal today. I would say so. I would say so. 
He's doing as well as Harry Kane is. I think we should we should point that out at this stage. Gentlemen, that is the full-time whistle. I would just leave you with one thought on the broadcasting point of view, which we will develop over the time. I did tweet out tonight that John Champion and Ali McCoist, I like them. I think they're the best pairing in the World Cup. We can talk about that. However, Twitter has corrected me with a wonder. It's, it's the analysis of the tweet that came back. I mean, it was brilliant. Four words, and it's simply put, nah. They are not. So I can't argue with that. Um, I've been put in my place. And, uh, we shall develop that another time. You've been listening to All Three Points, the World Cup 2022 podcast with the player, the match official and the broadcaster. From Stuart Lovell, James B and myself, Paul Mitchell, thank you for taking the time to listen. We really do appreciate that. Do get in touch with us on our social media. It's Twitter, All Three Points. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back to talk about the last 16 and what's happened in all these wonderful closing group games very soon indeed. But for Stuart, for James and myself, thanks for listening. Bye for now.